Hello, and welcome to Dirty Bird Podcast, a podcast that takes birds seriously, but nothing else. I'm your host, John Janusik, and thanks for listening. In each episode of this podcast, we'll take a deep dive into the evolutionary history, taxonomy, and behavior of individual bird species, all while keeping the banter light, the energy bright, and the humor raunchy. Whether you're a longtime birder or just a fellow nature lover, I hope you'll find this podcast educational and enjoyable. In this, our first episode, called Big Peckers, I sit down with two of my longtime friends and outdoor enthusiasts to discuss the pileated woodpecker, one of the species that first got me into birding. So without further ado, here's the show. Alright, cool. Um, nice, I got some crows. Alright. I'm here with my co-host, Tim Ostracci. Howdy, Tim. howdy. <laughs> uh, Tim's one of my good burden friends, and I'm here with my other special guest, Chris Hildreth. Howdy, howdy as well. <laughs> Chris, uh, introduce yourself and tell them what you do for a living. Yeah, so I'm, uh, as John said, Chris Hildreth, and uh, I work for Dr. Jane Goodall, the uh, famous ethologist and um, primatologist. <laughs> And, uh, you know, help her with all of her travels and her lecture tours and, um, you know, doctoring up some of her uh, written word. And All right, Chris, quit padding up your resume <laughs> there. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm available very... for opportunities if anyone's interested. <laughs> I'm very cool job, some Yeah, up. yeah. <laughs> I'm very happy to be here. This is our first episode. I've been trying to do this for a long time. Um, uh, I got super into birds, like, I don't know, right after college, uh, I just love being in nature and I think birds are just a great way to kind of get in touch with it and everything. And then I got some of my friends hooked like Timmy, um, and, uh, Chris is just into nature in general and studied it in college, um, and went into work with it, which ain't good all and everything, which is super cool. So I finally convinced these guys to sit down with me and, uh, record a podcast <laughs> podcast about it. Um, and uh, for our first episode, uh, we're going to do, uh, calling it Big Peckers. And we're going to mm. talk about the Pileated Woodpecker and uh, the Ivory-Billed Woodpecker, uh, two of the largest woodpeckers in North America. Ivory-Billed, hopefully, still alive. Not that size but matters. But... Not that size matters. But, all uh, respect all birds. <laughs> <laughs> And I guess I'll touch on to kind of my goal with this podcast is to do one about, uh, I mean, there's plenty of podcasts out there about birds, but usually they're kind of run by universities or uh, old ornithologists. And while, you know, those are great, they're kind of a little stuffy. I kind of wanted something for young people, like how we would sit around and just bullshit and talk. Um, and yeah, so... Thanks, guys, for sitting down with me. I yeah, appreciate it's it. It's an honor. Absolutely, man. I'm looking forward to it, and I think it's a great idea just to have a more casual conversation about birding. And like you said, it's it's great to have the informational podcast. But you know, we're gonna we're gonna try to have some fun with this one. Uh, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah. Before we jump in, kind of, I don't know, Tim. Do you want to talk about kind of what you like about I don't know being in the woods, being in nature, birds, all that kind of shit. Yeah, I think the best part about it to me is just the 
the solitude of being out in the woods and it's really something special when you can just go for a walk through nature whatever trail you may find yourself on and it's just you and the sound of the birds and just getting to listen to different calls uh occasionally you know get a good sighting if you're if you're close enough and it's just a it's a really peaceful and enjoyable experience in my mind yeah what i think is cool too is when you're paying attention to the birds you're I mean, you're paying attention to the birds, but you end up seeing a lot more of other nature, too. Like, yeah. you'll end up account because you're being quiet and, like, trying to, uh, you know, immerse yourself. And then you end up seeing, like, a raccoon, you know, sneak up on a raccoon or a possum or, like, something like that. Like, you end up seeing a lot more than just birds. So, And then, I don't know, Chris, do you want to talk about kind of what you like about nature and studying it yeah no i was going to speak more specifically on birds um <laughs> yeah i believe that's the topic we're here for today uh no i was just going to say you know being a, you know much more casual and not as, as studied and learned as you two uh, uh, my, we're not we're <laughs> very amateur <laughs> my uh my appreciation of of birds in general i would say comes you know started from a lot of the early documentaries uh, david attenborough you know planet earth and all of those and just seeing the uh, diverse range of um, of traits and attitudes that birds, you know, exhibit in nature, especially the more, you know, tropical birds of paradise, um, just some of the extreme mating dances they go through, yeah. and, you know, decorating their uh, own, you know, little hovels and everything. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's a lot to bird intellect that, you know, people are just now realizing and even crows themselves are... You know, yeah, we have one out here with us, I believe. Yeah, yeah I know. We yeah, crow guest, maybe he'll come by later. So yeah, I, I guess I'll say we're recording right now from the banks of the Sand Run Lake in Canaan Valley, which uh, we're bordering Dolly Sods Wilderness, Canaan Valley Wildlife Reserve right now. There's lots of birds flying around, uh, some crows, some blue jays, some. Titmice, chickadees. Uh, I saw some brown creepers earlier. Um, yeah, if we have any sightings during the podcast, we'll definitely call them out. But yeah, it's beautiful, snow covered. Uh, we're recording in late January right now, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's awesome. Beautiful spot, beautiful morning, and even getting to listen to some birds while we're recording. So yeah, it's a good day. Absolutely. And Chris is um, sipping some coffee out of a weird mug, but it's decorated, I'll say, with some common kingfishers Very on there. Yeah, which are native to Britain. I unfortunately didn't get to see any when I was over there. I wanted to, but yeah, they're pretty birds. Speaking of a pretty bird, let's uh, let's talk about some pileated woodpeckers. First off, uh, how do you pronounce it, Tim? Do you say pileated, pileated? I say pileated. Pileated, okay. I think largely because that's what I... So I remember talking about this bird back when we were living in the Williamsburg house. So when I first started getting interested in birds was when I lived with John uh, back in Williamsburg, Virginia. We lived in a in a bird sanctuary our, our house was in. And it was just going out in our backyard. You could hear all sorts of birds. And um, some of the early talks I remember were about these woodpeckers. And Yeah, they were coming to our feeder. We yeah. had affiliated come to our feeder, yeah. which was crazy. That was, that was one of the coolest birds that I had seen to that point. I think that's why I still really enjoy seeing pileages and just going out looking for pileages in general is... Yeah, you know, that, that's what kind of sparked me to do this podcast because I know when I saw so one of the one of the nicknames for pileated is um, Lord Godbird mm, because Lord God when bird. people see it they go Lord God that's a big bird <laughs> um, and uh, I remember when I first saw it yeah it's so big you're kind of like holy shit like 
And and kind of what got me into birding too is it was kind of this invisible world that I've been missing my whole life. And then once I started paying attention and start seeing them, you know, like I can't imagine. I mean, when I was a kid, I was running around the woods. We all were running around the woods all the time, but we weren't really paying attention. And like, so I can't imagine the kind of species we missed when we were younger and stuff. But yeah, once you start opening your eyes and paying attention, not only do you see birds, but you see all kinds of other shit. So, um, uh, yeah, so uh, the whole pileated, pileated controversy, people oh, is pronounce... controversy? Kind of. I mean, you'll you'll hear people correct you. Like, you'll say pileated, they'll say pileated or something. Really, I mean, there's no right way to say it. So it comes from, pileated comes from uh, the Latin pilus. It is pronounced pi- so, pilus. But yeah, that's the root that it comes from. So, um, I mean, there is kind of a right pronunciation but it doesn't matter you'll even hear ornithologists pronounce it differently it's kind of a more regional thing Mm. and whoever like if you're really nitpicking how people pronounce something then you need to move on with your life and find some better hobbies um but uh but this is a great bird um chris do you want to we got a picture open in front of us right now do you want to go ahead and describe it to us yeah so um it is hugging a tree at the moment (laughs) or perched on a tree as you would say it doesn't uh, look like it's hugging it <laughs> he's very close to the tree um he's got a nice uh black darkish white and also white plumage uh going down his back uh you know he's got a stripe of white in the middle going up his his neck i'm not sure if these yep. are technical terms for birds no 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 you're doing great you're doing great uh and then yeah the that kind of white goes into a, a nice red flourish at the top there that uh kind of peeks off the back and gives him a little uh you know, like a typical woodpecker yeah. look that you would see on mascots yeah, and Woody things. Woody the woodpecker yeah. and shit Woody the like woodpecker the, yeah. and, yep. you know, probably some, uh, some, uh, B- baseball teams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he's got that nice red crest. This is the male. So the female, um, pileated also has a red crest too. Um, so both of them, uh, have sport the red versus, you know, some other species they'll, you know, the female won't have red and, and everything, but both of them have red. Um, so the way to, you'll notice this male here, he has, they call it a red mustache. Hmm. You'll notice that red stripe coming off his beak. And the female, however, has a black mustache. So they both have little mustaches, but, uh, Hmm. only the male has the red one. Um, I'll also point out the black bill too on this. Um, and that'll get important later when we talk about the ivory belt and everything. Yeah. Um, and the eye is kind of more black. There's a little yellow rim, but it's it's when you look at it in the field especially, you kind of just see a black eye. Um, and then Chris did a great job explaining the body. It's mostly black and sooty. Um, you'll notice there, when it's perched on the tree like this, there's no white. Um, and that's very important in the field from distinguishing it from an ivory build. When it's perched on the tree, hugging the tree, as Chris said, like this, there's no white on it. Um, it does when it flies. You'll see that white on the underwings, though. We also have in front of us opened a book, um, a great book I have from the 1930s with some drawings. Um, and Arthur Allen discusses the pileated and the ivory building comparison. I really love his drawings of them, too. We'll, we'll reference them and everything. But anyway, let's go ahead and dive into the pileated. What do you guys want me to talk about? Do you want me to talk about the evolutionary history? Do you want me to talk about behavior? What do you guys want to know? Evolutionary history is something I don't really know yeah, much about say. at all for them. So yeah. I think that would be an interesting one well, to go sweet. into. Well, let me start with, so I'll kind of start general with Bert. So um, I'll kind of start here. I mean, everyone knows birds evolved from, you know, dinosaur ancestors and everything. 
I'll kind of start up with the breakup of Gondwana. So Gondwana, um, as I understand it, is Australia kind of combined with Asia. Um, and it broke up about 180 million years ago. And when it did, there were kind of two species, uh, ancestor species of birds that kind of were separated. One in Australia, one in Asia, Eurasia. And really a lot of bird evolution can be traced back to these two ancestors that, you know, developed on these continents. So there's the Australies and the um, Afroavies, um, and woodpeckers come from the Afroavies. So they were on the Eurasian, Africa, Asia side of uh, the Gondwana split up. When it broke up there, and which is actually really cool, all birds evolved from a apex predator. So it wasn't like a herbivore, you know, like, I mean, you see right. the fossils of Archipteryx, mm -hmm. you know, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. I pronounce everything wrong as, as my friends will tell you, <laughs> I can't pronounce windmills, but, uh, it was, you know, it was a predator. It was eating small little dinosaurs and wow. insects and who knows what else. Yeah. It wasn't like a, you know, herbivore or, or species. It was an apex predator. And then hmm. all, all birds kind of evolved from these predators and then later became, you know, seed eating or insect right, eating right. or whatever else. So woodpeckers came from that and they're um, kind of close, more closely related to like, at least when you look at their evolutionary tree to like owls, um, cuckoo rollers, trogons, uh, kingfishers, which, uh, Chris has on his oh, yes. mug over there. And uh, so I have a little tree over here I'll point out to you guys. So when the early woodpeckers, so we trace them back, the early woodpeckers, to these birds called piculates. And piculates are kind of, they're in the same family as, our, as all our woodpeckers, but they're kind of like a very primitive um, woodpecker. They kind of they don't have like the stiff tail that other woodpeckers have hmm. they'll do more ground feeding they behave a little differently but they're they're kind of similar actually there's one that let's see it was just it was it's on um hispaniola which is the dominican republic mm -hmm. in haiti and we think it actually got isolated there about 25 million years ago when the seas were a lot lower and everything um, and then the seas rose and it kind of got stuck there and basically kind of didn't really evolve very much. So it's kind of like a living fossil for us. And we think that the earliest woodpeckers were kind of like it and then, you know, evolved more of the very specific woodpeck characteristics mm -hmm. that we know. Because like the, the uh, so this is called the Antillean piculate, the one that I'm talking about in Hispaniola. So it doesn't drum on trees the way the woodpeckers we know do. Mm. It doesn't have those stiffened tail fibers, like I said. The males and females will sing back and forth, almost like a songbird. Oh. And uh, yeah, they call that antiphonal duetting, the singing back and forth of male and females. But it does have some other woodpecker characteristics, like it has kind of the same nasal structure. Um, the nasal glands don't enter the um, orbit, and that's very important if you're drumming on trees. You don't want a lot yeah. of, you want your uh, bone structure in your face, you know, to be uh, more strong and everything. Uh -huh. But uh, so anyway, that's kind of the ancestor is the piculate, and so we're able to look at that as kind of living fossil and know how they evolved. So... Kind of what happened with the woodpecker evolving, the pileated. So, okay. So one of the big things about woodpeckers is they're zygodactylic. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> so that's kind of a cool word. I like it. Um, so zygodactylic means that... So birds basically, they almost... Almost all birds have like four toes. 
And zygotactic means two of them face forward, two of them face back. Right. And this is great uh, if you're on a tree, you know, because you can kind of perch and hold yourself against gravity well. and yeah. stuff. Yeah. So for a long time, people thought that woodpeckers evolved to be zygodactylic. That so mo- most birds have three toes for well, not most birds, but like the songbirds we're familiar with three have three one. facing forward and one facing back. Mm-hmm. And people thought that they evolved to woodpeckers evolved to have that. Uh, fourth toe rotate back but actually once we you know now that we've been able to do genetic analysis and everything like that we found that parrots are one of the main ancestors of a lot of our perching bird singing song birds you know like wow. chickadees and titmice and all that stuff and so we and parrots are zygodactylic and if you think about it that's a pretty good way to grab onto a branch if you're perching there um Definitely. is to grab onto it two and two from yeah. front and back so we actually think that the common ancestor to a lot of a lot of these birds was zygodactylic, and then actually more of our songbirds evolved to rotate the toe forward. Mm. Uh, another thing I'll throw out too, I'll talk more about the biology of woodpeckers, but with them being zygodactylic, we think of those two toes always being back. But in studies they've done, actually. Um, they will rotate their toe more to the side a lot of times or change the position of it. It's not strictly held backwards. Um, this is especially important for the ivory build. I'll talk more about this later, but it holds it laterally a lot. The pileated, kind of the way it, it got... So I talked about how it evolved in Asia, Eurasia, and everything. Um, we think that the common ancestors came over across that Bering Land Bridge because um, it was constantly flooding and and water level going down and opening up. However, there is some uh, evidence that suggests that woodpeckers might have actually evolved in America originally. Um, It's a very low probability, but it's possible. So, sorry, I'll probably have to cut out a little bit of me going through my notes here. But I will say for the listener out there, John has quite the extensive notes. I do. Well-prepared host. I do, but it's hard to keep it all in my freaking head. He's um, been going back to the same page every time. I have. He's, he's only been using one page of all these notes. I flip back and then I come back to the same page. Um, oh, sorry. Let me touch again. <laughs> sorry. Let me touch again on the common ancestor. So that whole zygodactylic having two toes in front, two in back. It's also very important for when you're a cavity nester. So woodpeckers, the way they nest, they don't build nests like songbirds do. They will hollow out a cavity in a tree and then nest in it. And being zygodactylic like that is very important when you're a cavity nester. So when you have three toes forward and one facing back, that's called anisodactyl. Chris, you asked about why they have that. Mm. And that kind of evolved when birds um, transitioned to open nesting. making their own nests on tree branches and and weaving them out of sticks and stuff like that. But anyway, so when the uh, pileated, we think, came over to um, America and started to diverge into uh, different species, the large size in, in our pileated woodpeckers, it actually evolved twice independently, meaning there wasn't like one woodpecker that got really big and then it shot off the pileated woodpecker, the mm-hmm. ivory woodpecker, ivory build, the emperor woodpecker. It evolved independently. Um, our pileated woodpecker, its family name, uh, Dryocopus, it's closely related to the uh, Millera picus, also species, and they evolved from a common large ancestor. And then um, 
our common ancestor of the ivory builds and the emperor woodpecker, um, that's Campophilus, and it evolved off of another one that just got big. So that kind of happened both. What we kind of think is that during the warm Miocene-Pliocene period, and that's about uh, six million years ago, um, the ancestor of our Dryocopus, um, Milleropicus, kind of flew east from Asia and landed in North America and started to kind of evolve from there. And basically, what kind of ha- Arpiliated is actually kind of a relatively new species, you would say. What happened is, if you look at some European species, like the um, black woodpecker, um, they look very common to the Pileated. Um, And it's because they're kind of commonly split off from them. The Lineated woodpecker, which is in Mexico, is its most uh, recent split. Um, I wrote it down somewhere, but I can't freaking see it. But it's only like within like less than a million years that it split off from the Lineated woodpecker. Hmm. And became the pileated. The interestingly, there's a northern sooty woodpecker in the Philippines, which is also kind of a common ancestor, like split off, um, you know, in a couple million years from it. So how? I mean, maybe that happened when it flew east from Asia. It settled in the Philippines or something. Um, but yeah, I thought that was kind of yeah, cool. I'm sure, sure, there's so much fruit there, and you can enjoy it. <laughs> you can no, no predators or anything. Yeah, probably when they first arrived. Islands, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so. Yeah, so that's kind of how they how they evolved and everything. Do you guys have any thoughts or questions about that or anything? I don't know. Anything surprise you? No, I mean, honestly, here in the timeline, it, it just makes me wonder, you know, birds must have had a really strange hold on Earth for a few hundred million years, you know. Yeah. From what you're saying, if they were such an apex predator and they were able to spread to every single... Yeah. You know, area on Earth, pretty much. I know, like, kind of what I got, what we got taught in school, you know, is after the, uh, you know, mass extinction that, you know, killed the dinosaurs, that it was mammals that took over, and not really, it was kind of birds that took over. And they still are to today, you know? The fact that, you know, they were able to fly and were highly mobile kind of really helped. And also, I think, uh, you know, their intelligence, too, Mm -hmm. um, helped them uh, radiate and and form a lot of Their bird brain isn't really accurate. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right. Yeah, no, totally. I was really interested to hear about the evolution of the zygophylactic. Am I mispronouncing yeah. that? that... Zygodactylic. Zygodactylic, sorry. Phylactic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's interesting to think about how the different types of birds need different uh, function, essentially, from their, from the direction that their toes are facing, and... It's uh, it's just interesting to think about how that evolved over time. Yeah, um, I hear I, I found here on my notes. So there's a um, a website called OneZoom, like Tree of Life OneZoom. Okay. It's really cool. It kind of shows you the bird tree of life and shows all the little splits, uh, like a, a tree, the splits off of uh, the different species, and it shows the common split from pileated being the. Um, um, Andama woodpecker, which is in India, and it shows it splitting off 1.3 million years ago. Wow. Um, but yeah, that's all the way in India. I don't know. But then when I look at the phylogical tree, the closest relative is alineated. So there's kind of a little bit of discrepancy here. I will have to say also, I'm a freaking amateur ornithologist just doing my research. <laughs> so if there are any Disclaimer. ornithologists out there, yeah. yeah, I'm sure they're screaming. But anyway, um, let me just give a little, um, 
information about like the uh, taxonomy of uh, pileated woodpeckers. So they're in the family um, Pisidae. They're in the order Pisiformis, and then they're in the family Pisidae. And there's so many woodpeckers that they make up half of their own order, um, which is pretty impressive. Pisiformis is a pretty big order. Um, it also contains toucans in it too. So mm. there's kind of a common ancestor there with yeah. toucans, which is kind of cool. Um, and then in their family, Pisidae, Pisidae is basically woodpeckers and their relatives. Um, their relatives um, are woodpeckers and then also rhinecks. Rhinecks um, are these, and, and piculates, which I talked about earlier being the primitive kind of ones. Rhinecks and piculates are both kind of primitive woodpeckers. Um, they lack stiff tails. Um, the rhinecks usually perch on branches rather than going up uh, trunks. Interestingly, they can turn their heads 180 degrees. <laughs> they're called so they're called rhinecks because of that because they can turn their heads 180 degrees. Mm. Um, they're also called like snake birds because they'll hiss and kind of like turn their heads and weave Ooh. it like snakes oh, when yeah, they're yeah. disturbed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then piculates. I talked about those earlier. They have the short bills. They lack the stiff tails. Um, and usually they're only able to feed in very decayed wood. They can't peck on a hard tree. So that's why we think like the common ancestor of woodpeckers, it kind of evolved from a bird that was like, oh, hey, this tree's like almost all the way decayed. I'll feed from it. And then through natural selection, ones that were better and better at eating at decayed wood involved stronger and stronger bills and more woodpecker characteristics. And then uh, as far as the uh, name of the pileated woodpecker, its scientific name is Dryocopus pileatus. So dryocopus is interesting. Um, it comes from a combination of two Greek words, drulis, which means tree, and copus, which means beating. So, <laughs> beating tree. So as far as some general information, they are woodpeckers. So, you know, they will uh, feed on uh, mostly bugs that they peck onto trees to get and everything. We talked about how both males and females have that red. The males have that red mustache. And uh, they, well, they're the largest North American woodpecker unless we get way more ivory build confirmations. Um, they usually live, so the biggest population is in the south of America. But they also stretch up into New England. They stretch across the Midwest. They're in southern Canada. They're also in the northwest. But mainly the southeast is where the densest population's in. Mm. They like mature deciduous or mixed forests. Um, and really, for nesting, they need large dead trees. I think I found that they need, for nesting at least, they need a 24-inch tree. Um, and I was looking up how long it takes for a 24-inch tree to grow. And it uh, takes about, like, 100 years. Wow. So, yeah, you can see how logging really impacted them. Yeah. And actually, in, like, the early 1900s, when there was a lot of logging, pileateds became almost somewhat rare because there had been so much logging, chopping of mature trees. Mm. Um, now, with um, areas being set aside as preser nature preserves, um, they've made a great comeback, and they're actually a pretty common bird now. One of their favorite foods is carpenter ants. They'll peck into trees, they'll find the, they'll sometimes strip bark, and they'll find like the little, um, oh God, what are they called? Uh, galleys are what they're called, where uh, bugs have mm -hmm. burrowed in, beetles or carpenter ants have burrowed in, and they'll like, explore them and uh, eat the uh, bur uh, bugs. 
Um, they also will eat fruits, nuts, berries too. Um, I found an interesting case in Missouri where a pileated was, this is kind of cool, where there was a wolf um, enclosure for like rehabilitating wolves or something like that. And they would throw um, meat on the bone for the wolves to eat. And a pileated, would, this was in the winter, a pileated would come down, it was a female, would come down and eat the meat off the bone. But it was like very wary of the wolves, obviously. <laughs> right. So it was like watching them the whole time, yeah. eating wow. some meat. Whenever the wolves would come and approach, it would fly away yeah. and then wait for them to go away, come back and eat some meat. So Should they, they will eat meat, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I talked about their nesting. Um, they'll nest in dead trees. Um, the male usually does most of the excavating. Um, this usually happens in the late winter, and uh, they'll make this oval-shaped hole. So you've probably seen, Timmy, um, when you're in the woods, pileads do two kinds of holes. They'll kind of do almost a, a triangular or rectangular hole when they're feeding to find the bugs. But then when they make their nest, they'll make this big oval hole. Versus other woodpeckers, like the red-bellied or the downy or the hairy, will make these little circular Small holes. Circles, right. And it's thought that they make the oval because of their crest to accommodate it when they uh, go in the hole and everything. Huh. They'll line it with only wood chips from their excavating. They won't bring any other material into their hole. Hmm. Um, How long does it usually take to burrow t- a big hole like that? About three to six weeks oh, it wow. takes to construct it. And interestingly, so um, they'll, they make two kinds of holes. Well, holes that they go inside. So I talked about they make the feeding holes. Um, they also will make roosting holes in the winter. So when they sleep at night in the winter, they like to have a hole that they can go in and kind of be sheltered, you know, from the wind and everything. The roosting holes they'll use over and over again year. But the nesting holes, they'll switch it up every year. They'll use the same general area, maybe even the same tree, but they usually don't go back to the same hole. Um, and that's probably because of parasites and stuff like that. After they use a hole to hatch some chicks and stuff, they don't want to reuse it because there might be mm-hmm. bugs in there mm-hmm. and, and all kinds of stuff. And also, a lot of um, other species will use um, pileated woodpecker holes. They rely on them. Species like, uh, I mean, titmice are one of them. Yeah. They rely on holes dug by woodpeckers. Right. Wood ducks rely on um, pileated woodpeckers. And uh, some mammals, too, will rely on the holes dug by them. Um, they usually lay about three to five eggs, and they'll usually have one brood per summer. Um, if one fails, though, then they'll go and try again. They have white eggs. They incubate them for about 15 to 18 days. Their nestlings take about 30 days to um, mature. And uh, when they hatch, they're little helpless babies that can't do anything for themselves. Um, uh, I'm not sure. I think they... I think they regurgitate their food for them. We'll talk about the ivory build, but I think the pileated regurgitates. So I already talked about how they, um, you know, make their holes. When woodpecker, when they pileated fly, they do that typical woodpecker undulating flight. They kind of go dip down, mm-hmm. back up, dip down, back up, dip down, back up. Very characteristic. So if you see a bird flying like that and it's about the size of a crow, mm-hmm. you know it's a pileated. But yeah, I talked about how they decreased in the early 1900s from logging. The 60s, they really bounced back with wood starting to be preserved and mature up to that 24 inches. Um, they live around 10 years in the wild. Um, our oldest one that we found is uh, 10 years, 11 months. They have kind of a territory. Um, you'll hear them drumming and calling to defend their territory. Interesting in the way they care for their young, both the parents will feed and incubate the eggs. Um, 
Yeah. I saw that usually the, I think it's usually the female will incubate overnight and then they'll, during the day, they switch off every two hours so that the one of them can go feed and then the other one will sit there for about two hours and incubate. So, and they mate for life too. So they're very, um, I don't know, nice little loving romantic <laughs> birds. Yeah. Teamwork. Chris, do you want to hear about their courtship ritual? I've you were talking so. about the yeah, birds of paradise you, yeah. earlier, yeah. So always trying to get tips. So the <laughs> if you're a female pileated woodpecker, the hottest thing to you is the white patch on the on the uh, male. So what he'll do is he'll spread his wings and show off that white patch. He'll raise his crest and swing his head back and forth, and then he'll do a little gliding flight, and that turns on. The and John's freaking... demonstration might be working. I'm not sure. <laughs> So there's four subspecies of pileated woodpeckers. I talked about their distribution. They're mostly dense in the southeast, but then they're kind of spread across. So uh, they follow Bergman's rule. Uh, have you guys ever heard of this Bergman's rule? No. This is kind of a cool... So. so Bergman's rule is basically species that are in the north tend to be bigger than ones in the south. From a uh, physiology... Uh, do you have any idea why that is? No. Why things would be bigger in the north than in the south? Because it has to do with body size ratio and heat loss okay, yeah. so if you're bigger okay. you're gonna yeah. lose less heat so yeah. that that's it's why the it same is way with people yeah it is the same way with people because uh inuit people mm -hmm. tend to be bigger uh -huh. um yeah. people in freaking iceland and norway and stuff they're freaking huge yeah. vikings yeah. you know yeah it's, it's interesting so in the south pileated woodpeckers tend to be smaller um their subspecies name is dricopus pileatus pileatus very creative in the north, um, the subspecies is uh, Dricopus pileatus abeticola, abeticola, which abeticola means dweller of firs, which makes sense if mm -hmm. you're in the north. There's a lot of fir trees. Um, there's one in the Florida Peninsula, southern Florida Peninsula, and in the Florida Keys, which is subspecies Floridnanus, Floridnanus. <laughs> uh, doesn't need any explanation. <laughs> And then there's a, a Western species too, um, Dricopus uh, pileatus piscinus, which is, piscinus is Latin for sooty or black because they have more of a gray throat than uh, the Southern species does. Mm. This is pretty cool. Um, territory size, they apparently need a minimum of 320 to 600 acres. It's a big yard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just for um, context, Central Park is 840 acres. <laughs> so one, maybe two pileated species yeah. pairs could survive in Central Park. In um, more northern inhospitable areas, they need 1,000 plus acres. Like in Oregon, a, a study was done and they need 1,000 plus per pair. And that's because, one, they need the big trees for nesting. And two, I mean, they feed on dying, decayed trees. So there's only so much of that in an area. Yeah. Oh, one of the reasons, you know how I talked about how they bounced back in the 1960s? One of the unfortunate reasons for that is, uh, we think, because of Dutch elm disease. Because it killed off a lot of elm trees. Mm. Mm. And, of course, the woodpeckers are like, fuck yeah, yeah. we got some more <laughs> shit to eat. Yeah. But, I mean, it's terrible for the elms. Um, I said 24 inches. It's actually 20 inches that they need. Um, and their territory has to contain 30 plus trees that are 20 inches. And so, yeah, and it takes 100 years for those trees to grow. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. yeah, that's a lot. As far as where pileates are found, um, they, they've been found up to 7,500 feet. Um, so they really don't care whether it's low sea level or mm -hmm. up high in the mountains. They pretty much only want 
you know, big dead tree. Yeah, <laughs> where they can find them. Um, they're really, they're big, so they don't have many predators. Rats, snakes, hawks, foxes, owls will, um, uh, eat a lot of their younglings and stuff. But, I mean, and they'll, they'll get killed occasionally by hawks, but rarely. I mean, they're big. And they can have up to a three-foot wingspan. I mean, they're pretty, uh, impressive when you mm. see them in flight. Shit, I guess I should talk about their, um, anatomy a little bit. So... One of the most impressive things for me about woodpeckers is their tongue. It's super long. It kind of... I was going to ask, actually. Yeah. If you've ever seen, it kind of wraps around the back of their head pretty mm. much. Um, so it's funny. When they're small, they have the tongue the same size of any bird. And then because when they're young, they don't need a long tongue because mm. their parents are feeding them everything. And then it starts, really their hyoid bone um, starts to starts to grow, and it kind of folds back um, into, like, the back of their head. And so their tongue is almost, like, held in their head uh, so that it can, the goal of it is it can kind of shoot out like a spear into uh, these cavities that bugs have burrowed and explore them, find the bug, and pull them out. Mm. They have a little spear tip that's hard on the edge of their tongue and then also their tongue is lined with backward facing points so it's almost like a fishing hook barb so it spears them and pulls them back um their tongue is also very sensitive um i mean they have taste receptors there too so i mean we kind of wonder when they're poking their tongue in there whether they're tasting around to taste the like "Mm, wood 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 mm, bug and then you know pull it out um and uh, uh, they have a couple muscles that are uh, important for it. Um, the uh, bronco, bronchiomandibularis muscle is what forces the hyoid forward and shoots that um, tongue out of the bill. And then they use a, a, a muscle called the cricohyoides to contract it back. And these names of the muscles uh, are just what they connect to. Hmm. Bronchiomandibularis it means it connects to the uh, bronchioles to the mandibularis which is kind of cool the muscles connect to some of the lung t- yeah. almost like the lung tissue not not the lung but you know the trachea stuff like mm-hmm. that and then the cricohyoides those are um crico if you've ever heard of people getting you know uh cric uh, getting a oh, yeah, yeah cut in their throat mm-hmm. to put an airway that's uh your adam's apple basically mm. And actually, Darwin, um, in his uh, Origin of Species, he opens it up talking about woodpeckers as a model of evolution with their tongues. So, I mean, people have known about about this for a while, about their crazy adaptations. In that whole, you know, their tongue, I t- talked about how they shoot it out like a spear. Um, it's kind of encased in cartilage, and uh, they secrete this fluid around it to, like, lubricate it. So it's re- it really is yeah. like a freaking like yeah. spear that shoots out. So I talked about the stiffened tail feathers of woodpeckers. They use those as kind of a pivot, a tripod almost, when they're climbing. And we talked about the zygodactylic um, already. They kind of extend it laterally a lot more um, than we used to think they do. Um, And uh, what's kind of cool, I talked about um, archaeopteryx earlier. Um, Archaeopteryx has these talons on its wings, and we think it may have... I mean, this is just a theory, but versus this, you know, running around, flying dinosaur, eating shit, we think it may have actually been climbing trees. So, like, even the earliest ancestors may have been exploiting trees um, early on. 
as far as why they can, you know, hit trees with their head, which are hard as fuck, and be okay. Um, they have a lot of adaptations. I read this article, and it was, like, super over my head going into the physiology. Um, but one of the main things, I mean, obviously their bill is super strong bone. But you'd think when they hit, you know, it would transmit to their brain, like the way people get concussions in football and yeah. stuff. Um, however, the way their their skull is really compact so that their brain and um, and skull kind of move together. And there's no, like... Like, we have uh, all the cerebrospinal fluid, fluid mm -hmm. yeah. And so it kind of, if we get hit, it makes our uh, brain bash up against our skull. Yeah. They don't really have that. They also have this nasofrontal hinge in their skull, which will kind of change when they um, when they peck. It'll The hinge will kind of move so that uh, the force isn't transmitted um, directly to their brain. Instead, it's kind of transmitted below the brain. And... Uh, their bill, I said, is straight and compressed um, compared to other birds. It's wider at the base, which makes it strong. Um, they have this muscle, the protractor um, pterygoide, um, which prevents their... So you'd think if they're hitting the tree, their bill would just like snap up. Uh, that muscle kind of holds it down. So they have one muscle that holds it down, and then they have an overhang on their skull over the top of the bill called the frontal overhang, which helps it from going up also. They have a flexible outer layer on their, um, on their um, bill, which kind of helps absorb some shock, and then hard bone underneath. They close their eyes while they're pecking so their eyes don't shoot out of their head. Um, and then pileateds are really cool because they have these hairs in their nose, which kind of catch the, um, wood dust and keep it from, you know, them inhaling it. Uh, yeah. Um, they peck yeah. at seven miles an hour, which doesn't sound like much, but they experience decelerations of 1200 G's. Uh, just to give a, uh, fighter pilots blackout at around 10 G's. <laughs> so that's freaking crazy. Yeah, it is. Wow. I don't know. You guys got any comments about pileateds? I just talked for about 45 minutes about them. <laughs> That's just the anatomy adaptations are pretty crazy to think about yeah. how how you said it's just like them as a as a species and just woodpeckers in general the the adaptations that they've made to be able to um just to feed themselves well and it, it's just a lot of a lot of unique things and then territory is something that really struck me as surprising that's that's a really large territory that they have and just how many how many trees of a certain size that they have to have within the territory it's yeah yeah that's very surprising yeah they're kind of a keyst they're called a keystone species because oh, okay. if they're in a forest it kind of marks yeah. that that forest mm -hmm. is mature well, yeah. um and then you know when they're pecking dead trees they're involved in nutrient recycling helping break them up into smaller pieces that then decay and go back into the soil recycling the carbon and I talked about how their holes are really important for, just to name off some species that use their holes for nesting. We got northern sawwed owls, wood ducks, swifts, bluebirds, wrens, swallows, northern goshawks. Damn it. <laughs> I can't read my... Uh, marillet. Marillet? Marbled marillet. I'm not super familiar with it, but it's endangered also. So oh, okay. they're really important. Huh. This is kind of a fun story here. Um, I think maybe we'll take a break after this before we jump into the ivory builds. But uh, 
have you guys ever seen like utility poles where woodpeckers have pecked yeah, at them and yeah, stuff? Yeah. So this is like a huge issue. There are all these articles about it. So um, ever since the 1879 is the first uh, published article about woodpeckers destroying poles. It's because they're erecting telegraph poles and woodpeckers <laughs> were destroying them. Um, and this was in Texas. It was first um, published. So in the early 1900s, you know, before there were these conservation laws, they would just shoot a woodpecker if they saw it on a pole. Then uh, they started using steel wire mesh to try to protect the poles. But they realized that pileated woodpeckers can pierce through 19-gauge wire. <laughs> They're that freaking strong. Um, and then they started using more chemicals and smearing them on the poles, uh. um, which helps some, but not really. Um, birds are freaking tenacious. Um, there has been some uh, articles published, too, that when woodpeckers will use treated poles for um, their nests, they'll get, you know, their young will be impacted by the uh. chemicals. Just to put a reference about how much damage they cause, the Alabama Power Company spent $3 million a year on woodpecker damage. Um, however, woodpeckers only cause 10% of all pole failures. Um, trees, storms, other th rot, other things mm -hmm. cause the other 90%. Hmm. So it's 10%. I mean, it's not a lot, but I mean, yeah. it is in the millions of dollars. And that's, that's yeah. only for Alabama Power Company. You can imagine nationwide, it's probably in the billions. Right. So the pileated is especially destructive um, because it likes to attack new poles for some reason. Really, it's not the new wood that it likes. It's that there's a new thing, a new situation in its um, area. And they tend to attack the larger transmission poles. Um, and so basically the poles that bring power to your house are these mm. smaller little ones. And then the ones that run the high voltage power mm. through large areas are the larger poles. And these are usually in rural areas. And, um, so when they get brought down, it's really bad cause it's hard to yeah. get resources out there. So a utility pole isn't like a dead tree in the forest that woodpeckers usually prefer. It's a green tree that's cut down. It's selected for being straight, not having any blemishes that may uh, uh, limit the structural integrity of it. Um, usually they cut southern pine, red cedar, Douglas fir for them. And they go through a huge process. They get steamed in a pressure cylinder, and then a vacuum is introduced to remove the moisture, and then they put compressed air in that, and then they add the preservative, hmm. um, which is usually a creosate, which is kind of a, a kind of tar. Now, this was an old article I read. They're using newer and different mm -hmm. chemicals now. Um, but yeah, they go, it's not like a dead tree in the forest. It's like a treated very, it's almost like a synthetic wood almost. People are like, why the hell are woodpeckers attacking these? Right. Um, they used to think it's because the buzz of the wires sound like bugs. <laughs> so that the woodpeckers think that there's bugs yeah. in there and they're pecking at them. But that's not true. You, you know, they used to think it was a, like, if it was an old pole, that's why the woodpeckers would go at it. But I said, even when they replace it with a new pole, um, still the woodpeckers will come back. So some of the reasons why they think that is because when you place power lines, usually you're tearing down some woods to place them. So basically you just disrupted a habitat where birds had made their territory, had these established boundary lines and everything. And then you go tear down the trees and put up these weird looking trees in their place. Um, so then the, all the birds are like, fuck, we got to claim this area. So then they start competing over it mm. and like going at it and drumming on it, starting to make some holes like, you know, cause they think we just lost some habitat. We have to claim this new habitat. Mm. 
And they've noticed that um, the attack on the poles is worse if they do it at times where birds are competing more, like early fall or late winter. Early fall because birds are trying to claim their area for winter, you know? And then late winter, they're getting ready for nesting. So if you place poles during that time, they tend to get attacked yeah. a little more. Hmm. Um, the heaviest damage is in the first year. I talked about how... Yeah, because, I mean, they see a new thing, mm -hmm. and they're like, we got to go exploit Shiny this. New object. Yeah. yeah, but, like, if, if the poles are able to survive for a couple years, the woodpeckers tend to calm down with attacking them. <laughs> this one guy was doing a survey. I think this was in Texas. He found 90% of all the holes in utility poles were between 20 and 50 feet, um, and they tended to face the south. And so this led some research into... Um, how woodpeckers like to place their holes. Mm. And they actually tend to place them in an east or a south direction. This may have to do with the sun yeah. or just the way winds blow, something like that. You know, um, and they also have done studies. They thought, okay, are there bugs in here that the woodpeckers are going after? They treat it a lot, so not really. They've only found there's only one species that likes utility poles, and it's paper wasps. Uh -huh. um, if if you're friends with it, well, if you know anyone who's in the utility business, they'll talk about when they're up there working in the spring, wasps will just come out of the poles mm. um, and are uh, like hell to deal with. But woodpeckers don't tend to like to eat these species, so mm. it's kind of weird. And I mean, it's not just bad for the uh, utility company, you know, like it's bad for the woodpeckers too, because they're wasting all this effort mm -hmm. pecking on these poles that they can't even use for eating and then if they do use them for nesting they're exposed to chemicals and their young are probably going to die so it's kind of a bad situation all around but it's kind of interesting and kind of funny to read these articles where these utility guys are like how the hell do we stop these woodpeckers <laughs> but yeah um that's kind of all i got on pileated you guys um anything else you guys want to say before we take a little break here it was awesome to hear more about them. Really cool bird and a lot of awesome stuff. Thanks, John. Yeah, that was great. Very yeah. thorough. I appreciate that. Totally. Knowledge drop. Thank you, guys. Yeah, I can't believe we're at the freaking 55-minute Got my favorite here. new bird. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You've been listening to the Dirty Bird Podcast, produced and researched by me, John Janasik with music from the Sidewalk Slammers. Listen to their song, New York Redneck, wherever you get your music. Original artwork by my lovely fiance, Lauren McClure. Be sure to subscribe and leave us a review or comment. We love to hear from you. Follow us on Instagram, at Dirty Bird Podcast, and send us listener mail at dirtybirdpodcast at gmail.com. Until the next time, stay dirty, my birdies. <laughs>